Yo, what's going on, people? And welcome back to the Blockchain Enterprises podcast. I'm your host, Digi, and the aim of this podcast is to show you how anyone can start a business, find their dream job, or develop a revenue stream in this emerging blockchain industry. Most, if not all of our guests, started with just an idea, a few hundred dollars, and a Twitter account. Before we meet today's guest, Here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you in assistance with our sponsors Crypto.com and Uhodler. Our first sponsor Crypto.com is a well-established platform and their mobile app offers the following features. A built-in exchange that lets users buy and sell 7 fiat and over 50 cryptocurrencies. A tiered debit card system that allows users to earn crypto cashback. Crypto Earn, which is a simple interest program allowing users to earn interest on any deposits held on the platform. And so much more, including their free-for-free promotion. You can check out the link in the description below for a $50 sign-up bonus. So go ahead and sign up today. Our second sponsor, Uhodler, is a fintech platform focused on crypto backlending with fiat, crypto and stablecoin loans available. Users are able to perform crypto to fiat and crypto to crypto conversions as well as open high-yield savings accounts for any crypto deposits. The platform supports the top 20 coins and tokens, and the app can be found online at uhodler.com or via Android or iOS applications. Sign up today to try their original multi-hodl tool, which is a unique feature powered by crypto-backed loans, and it helps users take advantage of crypto market volatility in either direction. With fewer fees than other margin trading platforms and an overall clean and simple look, MultiHodl is an efficient way to multiply your crypto portfolio. You can check out the link in the description below to get more info or sign up to their platform. Today, we'll be speaking with Rob McNeely, the co-founder of the Universal Settlement Coin, otherwise known as Tusk. Tusk is focused on gaining mass adoption through outreach and marketing to retailers in those industries with recognised problems with traditional banking and payment processing. So let's go ahead and speak with Rob. Yo, what's going on, people? And welcome back to the Blockchain Enterprises podcast. Today we're joined by Rob McNeely, the founder and CEO of the TUSC project. Thank you for joining us. How are you, Rob? Thank you. I appreciate you being here. Um, I would like to point out I am not the CEO. Okay, my apologies. Um, um, I am one of the co-founders, but uh, we actually are now, for Tusk, TUSC, we are now a decentralized project that has no co-founder or no CEO and and stuff. So it's a community-run project. So I like to throw that out there. Um, My apologies. legitimately run by volunteers. So I like to just put that out there because I know in the crypto space there's a lot of... (laughs) 
fluff around there about that, but you know, I like to get out there like no one owns Tosca. So there's no boss here. I'm just one of the goons that had a crazy idea a couple of years ago. Um, thank you for clearing that up. I mean, my apologies. And again, like how am I pronouncing this? Is it T U S C? Is it Tusk? Tusk. So our um, our mascot's an elephant. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so, but we wanted to do Tusk, which is kind of a play on the elephant. And when we were doing our branding, we, we knew we wanted an elephant. And then we basically backwards engineered a um, kind of like uh, the letters T-U-S-C to kind of be a play on Tusk instead of T-U-S-K. But Tusk stands for the Universal Settlement Coin. But it was because we wanted the name to be Tusk, like the elephant. Well, such a cool name. Now, before we jump into to what the Tusk Project's about... We always like to ask our guests, like, what, what was their first involvement or experience in the blockchain space? So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in crypto? Sure. Um, I'll be say I'll be the first to say and admit that I'm a latecomer to crypto. Now, I was aware of Bitcoin for a long time, going back, you know, 2000. You know, I don't know. I was hearing about it back in 2011, 2012, back when it was like a dollar. Um, but I never invested. And the main reason I didn't invest was because the people that were shilling Bitcoin back in the day were like sketch people mm -hmm. living in their basement. And I had this rule about never take investment advice from people living in their mom's basement. Um, and they said things based and I like to take a deep dive and they said a lot of things that weren't true, like Bitcoin's anonymous and Bitcoin was untraceable. And I knew on its face that didn't make sense when you just understand the basic architecture of, you know, Bitcoin didn't make sense. So I stayed out of uh, Bitcoin and crypto, honestly, till probably 2017. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of it for a long time. And I remember even back in 2012, me and a good friend of mine, like, it's going up to like, I think it was like $12 or something at the time. And I'm like, it's weird. Then it went to like $200. And, and I'm like, I, I don't, I didn't believe that it would keep growing, to be honest. And anybody who says they knew it would keep growing, I think they're full of shit, to be honest. Um, but it did. And uh, in 2017, I started investing in multiple crypto projects mm -hmm. um, back in the day. And that's when I started getting interested. And that was because I met some people that were genuinely smart people um, that I trusted that were um, developers that were working in blockchain projects. And, you know, we went back and forth and they said, oh, you know, they kind of explained things to a little differently. And they agreed with me on some of my points and my concerns. Um, and then it wasn't very long that I decided I went from being an investor probably to starting a token project three months. Wow. I took, I took a deep dive, mm -hmm. uh, back then. Um, it's very interesting. So, I mean, you, you mentioned that you feel like you're late to the crypto scene. Like, do you still feel like that now, like three years on after joining crypto? How, like, how's the last three years been since you first got involved? Well, I can tell you, you know, having worked it as a project for two, I mean, we started our project literally New Year's Day uh, 2018. Mm -hmm. So it's been almost just over two and a half years. And we started as an ETH token first. And then later we built our own blockchain, swapped the token for the coin, and then rebranded at that time. And I can tell you, it feels like I've been in it for 30 years at this point. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good reflection of crypto, like, Time just passes so quick, but it also feels so long compared to any traditional industry. I mean, two and a half years for, for a project is not a long time, I guess. 
Um, in the, as a startup, it you know as you would think as a startup it wouldn't be, mm-hmm. but in crypto, two and a half years is a long time. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest projects out there, some of them are you know that that's you know that age too, um, and so uh, you can look at the top hundred you know cryptos on any of the indexes out there, and most of them are more than you know three years old. So it's such a nascent industry, and it's such a fast moving and advancing industry that yeah it can wear you out <laughs> i can tell you there's a lot of stress um being in this space and, and that's stress from a lot of different angles it's true and i think the fact that it's a 24 7 industry as well is one of the reasons i think it moves so fast that anything can happen on a sunday night um, and it just affects the whole market oh and that and even just dealing with the communities right it's like mm-hmm. i kind of tell people you know my background i'm a serial entrepreneur I used to be a corporate guy a long time ago and you go through and you're managing a community where most of our community members are like in Asia, you know, and then, you know, it's 24 seven. And so, yeah. And on top of that, being a traded project, like we're on a crypto exchange, it's almost like being a publicly traded international company from day one. (laughs) Uh, And even as someone with the, I got a master's in business and I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I'm not a spring chicken. In fact, by crypto, I'm 48 and Mm -hmm. by crypto, you know, most of the crypto people in their twenties, I think. Um, and they go out and you start looking at even with my experiences, I mean, these are new experience. I've never, you know, operated or worked in a, you know, like managed something in a, you know, an international publicly traded company before. So that's weird. Like there's a lot you have to learn to kind of just wrap your head around that because you're not just dealing with, you know, one market and one audience, you're dealing with multiple markets and multiple audiences globally. Um, and then even just dealing with the crypto space, like, um, I've done more international business with my non ICO crypto project than I ever did as an entrepreneur. Cause you know, I have to, I mean, I'm talking to you, right. For yeah. instance, you're in the UK, I'm in the United States. I never would have had to do this before because most of my business have been U S based and U S focused, um, dealing with crypto exchanges. They're all over the planet. So every time you're negotiating, you're dealing with all different types of nationalities and personalities and, and, and different time zones and things. So yeah, it's a lot to like, just like suck up and, and um, grab your head around. Most definitely. And, and I think you make a good point in terms of like the, the 24 seven nature is one thing, but also you're dealing with people across the world, you know, different, different time zone, different languages, different cultures, and we all seem to like unite in this in this one industry where you know language is no longer a barrier, time zones, currencies are no longer a barrier. Anyone can literally get permission to start get started in crypto. There's there's no restriction at all. Um, we mentioned that you're one of the co-founders of the Tusk Project. Do you want to tell us a little bit more in detail about what you guys do and where people can find you? Sure. So with Tusk right now, um, we are a non-ICO community project. And we started as an ETH token called OCC, um, and we wanted to just kind of learn about crypto. It was more of an experiment than anything in the beginning. Um, And we wanted to put out good information about how not to get ripped off, how to like do crypto. It was kind of like we said it was like crypto with training wheels. Mm -hmm. Um, We distributed the entire supply of our token via faucets for free. Um, And we didn't collect any personal information. And even though we got a lot of hassles at the beginning, like, oh, it's just going to be a shit coin, blah, blah, blah. We did it that way. So we're not a security, an illegal mm-hmm. security under U.S. law. And it, it was very serendipitous, but we had a plan from day one because 
we took a deep dive into securities laws and talked to a lot of attorneys and um, and we looked at, you know, how can you give away a supply and not be an illegal security? And it was interesting because even back then, um, I said the government's always going to go back to precedents. Mm-hmm. And so, what's a, what's what's the security precedents around um, giving away free stock? And so, I did some deep dive on my own and found out that the SEC, Security and Exchange Commission, here during the '90s and 2000s, even successfully prosecuted internet companies during the dot-com boom for giving away free stock. And they did so because they collected personal information and made lead generation databases, and email databases out of the people they gave the stock to. Um, the SEC said that was an investment of income, which hit the, the Howey test and made them illegal security. So we didn't collect personal information either and didn't make people jump through hoops to do anything. And because of that, now a couple of years ahead, fast forward, um, under U.S. law, we're probably one of a couple dozen projects, you know, maybe 50 projects that can legally be traded on American fiat exchange now because we're not an illegal security because of the way we initially, you know, um, came into fruition. Um, what we found, so we um, originally um, found that after about six months, um, even though we were originally an experiment, I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs and a couple of them said, hey, Rob, I trust you. Um, if you make it happen, um, we'll accept your token for payments in our business. And I'm like, really? You know, it was like shocking to me, right? Because that's it was just kind of an experiment in the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, and then we started going down the rabbit hole and, and we came to the conclusion, at least at that time, you know, two years ago, that Ethereum was not good for payments. And, and there's a lot of reasons for reusability and consisting, you know, gas is a big pain in the ass for most people to, to sort out. Um, and so we then said, well, you know, why don't we look at doing our own blockchain? Um, and then we kind of had to get some more developers on board and some of the team didn't want to, and they bailed. And so, I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of stuff went into it. Um, but then when we said, okay, you know, we, by six, eight months, a year into the project, I think I felt a lot more knowledgeable about the crypto as an industry and saw some opportunities there that I hadn't saw seen before. And so we said, okay, if, you know, I asked the question and I like to ask questions and then I, it sends me down rabbit holes. And I, the one question I asked is why hadn't crypto been at, why wasn't crypto being adopted? Why, why hadn't mass adoption occurred? Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin had been around nine, 10 years at the time. And, and I said, okay, why is that? And so I, I spent some months talking to everybody and, you know, doing a lot of research. And I think I came up with some conclusions on why the mass adoption hadn't happened. And then I also said, you know, for what I want to do, how do you, how do you get mass adoption? And then we asked that question. And then another question we asked is how do you run and operate and market a decentralized project efficiently like you would a startup company? Yeah. So those three questions um, and their answers and the research that went into those are how we came up with Tusk and the direction of Tusk. Uh, and fast forward, we ended up uh, – building out our blockchain, doing our swap, and we launched our new blockchain just before New Year's this year. So we came onto them. I think we started I think we started trading right at the new right before New Year's Eve, literally, right around then. And then so we've been on the market now as a blockchain and a dedicated coin now for seven months. Fantastic. I mean, how have you found the process in terms of like converting to your own blockchain? And managing that. So, are you guys proof of work at the moment? Are you do you have a proof of stake basis consensus? Sorry. 
So we're delegated proof of stake. We originally, we are graphene-based blockchain. So graphene powers things like Steemit, Hive, BitShares, BravoCoin, EOS. So we forked BitShares uh, and then we modified BitShares. And we did so is because um, our research into going into becoming a payments project um, and choosing markets and all our market research and validation with our direction, um, we felt that we wanted to build something that was scalable out of the box for mm -hmm. retail. So Tusk has three second block times and the average confirmation time is about two and a half seconds. So from a time perspective, it was very similar to normal payment methods like credit cards, Visa, MasterCard, things like that. And we felt that that was going to be important for adoption. Fantastic. I mean, aside from the obvious speed benefits that you mentioned, like how could a company benefit from using your blockchain for a payment service? The why? That's a good question. So... And, and we asked that question, too. I mean, and, and ultimately what we figured out is that we believe if you're going to get adoption of crypto, um, you need to focus on industries that have a recognized problem with payments already, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a lot of inertia, learning curve, um, headaches, and in the U.S., crypto is a tax nightmare from yeah. a business perspective. And so we said, look, if, if your marketing plan means that you're hassling baristas and Uber drivers to take Bitcoin. Um, we, one, think you're annoying, and two, you're, you're wasting their time. Because for most people in the United States right now, and probably in Western Europe, crypto actually creates more problems yeah. than it solves. Mm -hmm. However, um, there are certain industries that are locked out of the normal payment options, even in the United States. Um, and so if you're going to get adoption for crypto, you need to focus on those industries. Mm -hmm. um, and we've identified about seven industries in the United States that currently have what we call a recognized payment problem, meaning that industry, uh, it's not like the Uber driver. Like You hear like a lot of activists go, well, what about deflation and, and inflation and, and all these things with the Federal Reserve? And like grandma does not give a shit about any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Most people don't even know what that means. So you're going to be annoying if you try to hammer them. So that's a not a recognized problem, right? And if you've tried to tell someone that they have a problem and they don't feel they have a problem, they're just going to ignore you. But if you go to an industry that has a payments problem that they recognize, they're more open now to dealing with the learning curve and dealing with the tax headache and some of these other things because crypto for them will solve a pain point. Yeah. So it's an excellent point. And again, there's industries that are perfectly legal but for whatever reason, like you say, they're locked out of traditional banking systems and they need an alternative available to them. Moving on, in terms of, we mentioned before, like crypto is a 24-7 industry and you've been building a project for just over two years. Do you want to tell us about some of the experience about building um, a blockchain-based project and some of the challenges you've faced? Um, well, one, just getting people, mm -hmm. um, people that can do the job, people that are willing to commit, especially, uh, in a situation where you can't pay them cash, yeah. you pay them Bitcoin and you can pay them on hopefully the future value of your token. Um, right now, Tusk, there is no company. Um, and so everybody is kind of like an incentivized volunteer. Um, and right now, since we're still an early stage project, we don't have a lot of liquidity yet. Um, the you know workers can get paid in Tusk now. Mm -hmm. That's all built in and baked into the code. But if you can't liquidate that to Bitcoin or cash at some point, right? It's a lot of it's a, it's a waste of time. So a lot of people see that as a risk. Um, additionally, I would say even like among really good developers, there's a lot of developers that just aren't comfortable in you know 
uh, a startup type environment. Yes. Now we're not technically a startup. I think we're somewhere between, um, I mean, there's similarities, but we're somewhere between like a nonprofit mm-hmm. and a startup, I guess is the best way, or maybe even a co-op for instance. And so uh, it's very difficult to find people and, properly motivate and incentivize those people you have to find a very special person willing to work in that environment so one um, recruiting was hard Mm -hmm. and so it was a lot of networking time and you had to find a person that one wasn't already working full-time in blockchain but was smart enough to pick it up Um, two didn't need to make a living because you can't make a living off tusk at this point Um, in the future hopefully we will Um, but right now you can't Um, and that's someone that had an interest in this space um, and wanted to learn and work on a project. So that was probably number one challenge. But I think those are very common challenges with people doing startups and or working around volunteers. And so, but so crypto, you have those same kind of challenges. I think like ev- almost anything in the world, it's always a people problem. That's the hardest part. Um, that would be the number one thing. I think to just like along the way, we had to figure out a lot of stuff. Like you know, there's a lot of problems in crypto and decentralized projects and how they're operated. You know, for instance, you look at the Bitcoin community, and I'm not anti-Bitcoin, I own Bitcoin, but I always like to throw this out there. In a proof-of-work blockchain, typically, um, like Bitcoin, if there's a, a disagreement, like a fundamental disagreement in that community, the communities fork and fracture. And then there's a lot of infighting. And ultimately, that's a distraction from growing the project. It looks bad from the outside. I think it impedes adoption. Um, So we work really hard to try to figure out, one, what kind of blockchain could we build that, you know, you know, had a good governance model? and, And how do you build that in? And so we spent like probably six months trying to sort out how we're going to operate this decentralized project Um, because we didn't want to fall into a lot of the problems that some of the other projects have fallen into, for instance. Um, We didn't want the project to be a cult of personality. You know, when you see a lot of projects, there's, you know, personalities are running these things. Um, We wanted something that had on-chain voting and governance because we felt that, blockchains need to evolve it's software let's let's get out of the cult mentality right i mean a lot of people around bitcoin they, i think it's a religion at some point um for some people but ultimately it's software software fails softwares have bugs software you know gets hacked you have to have people that can adapt and manage that system but how do you do it in a decentralized way and that's complicated and and we spent a lot of nights and a lot of meetings just kind of trying to beat back and forth you know, how are we going to run this and how are we going to grow this? And, you know, as a ETH token, you're basically in full control, right? That's the one of the downsides of being an ETH token. You know, it's like it was a company. We did have a little company set up and a not-for-profit company, but or we call it a low-profit LLC. So even when we launched our token, we still had a company. But then when we launched the new blockchain, you had to kick the baby out of the nest. The baby bird had to fly. <laughs> and, and so we gave up control. And I can tell you as an entrepreneur, that's hard. To do, but we wanted to set it up with the right or the best foundation that we could um, to make it grow in a way that hopefully will maintain its original ethos and the way we set up. Though we understand, you know, as it grows and gets more popular and more people come in, um, my personal influence, I don't control it, but I have influence because I'm just one of the co-founders, that'll wane over time. And I think that's just part of how these things morph and grow over time. I definitely agree and I think crypto like you say is a learning process itself very few people come into this space well you don't come into this space 
of any experience in blockchain and it's you know in terms of different roles developers marketers there's always a niche to learn um in terms of on the flip side of that what has been your biggest achievements while while building tusk like something that made you really proud the fact that we built it <laughs> it actually worked um so we bootstrapped um my wife and i are and we've spent a lot of our own personal money just getting it to here i mean there's still hard cost marketing was you know there's still ads and things that we've spent along the way you know believe it or not giving away a free token still costs money mm -hmm. which is yeah. kind of funny but you wouldn't think that but it did um you know, getting on exchanges, listing fees, things like that. There are hard costs that are really unavoidable for the most part. Um, but I would say after, you know, two and a half years about getting to the point where we have a working product that we have, you know, 21 validating nodes and 79 plus backup nodes running the network because um, you had to recruit block producers. Think about that, right? Everything, it's like when you're unproven, um, you had we had to go out and get a bunch of different people to get interested enough to spend a little bit of money to set up a server to run the network, right? I mean, you just don't put out a, you know, it's, you just don't like put out a tweet and all of a sudden all these people are willing to put up money to like you know invest in your project to help support it, and I think that's where a lot of these projects out there that have corporate sponsorship though they don't always disclose that. You know, they, especially some of these proof-of-work blockchains that are out there that are, like, always preach how they're, you know, pure community projects. But you find out, you know, two years in that, you know, a major corporation spent $5 million in salaries for years paying all their workers to, like, build <laughs> it, right? And so, I mean, there's a lot of this kind of there's – there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, I, I, I know of two, quote-unquote, big community projects that not only had corporate sponsorship that they don't disclose or not very readily disclose, but also had paid market makers to help build their markets mm -hmm. out. And that's expensive too. Like, and so we didn't have any of that. None. I mean, it was all us. And so to me, uh, getting to the point where we are right now, where we're, we're on five exchanges, we got more coming in, we're starting to get more PR and media. And we've done it all with basically a gaggle of volunteers and, and no big corporate, you know, sponsorship and things like that. So just getting launched and getting that product out there and getting code that works. Um, and it's not a perfect, you know, it's not a perfect process. It's not a perfect product. And I don't think it ever will be. But to get to the point where we're now on, you know, ready for, I think, big growth in the future. Um, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of what our team has done. Uh, I'm proud of that. The fact that we pulled it off, like just you know, it's been a lot of nights, man. Is this going to work, man? Are we going to get there? You know, you you second guess yourself. Even the most confident people are like, "Wow, is this really going to happen?" Um, and then it did, and so I was excited about that. Fantastic. Um, for anyone out there who's interested in in starting their own blockchain project or working for a blockchain company, like, do you want to tell us a little bit about what a typical working day or week look like looks like for you? I would say first don't, <laughs> um, uh, but if you really want to persist. So um, like I said, though, everybody in our project has a day job. Mm -hmm. So I myself, uh, I'm a consultant in uh, the construction industry. Uh, I'm a forensic consultant. So um, the beauty for that for me, though, as an entrepreneur is I have a flexible schedule. Yeah. So right now, um, you know, I'm in the middle of my normal work day. I can take time out to do an interview and promote Tusk. And so that's a good thing because I control my schedule. Um, 
a lot of our guys work on weekends and work in the evenings. And so that's the thing about being a real community project. Mm -hmm. It's like the extra hours. Um, one of our developers is a, a mechanical engineer and a, for a manufacturing company. Um, you know, so I think uh, for me, you know, since I tend to be the one who likes to talk in public and everyone else doesn't, um, I spend probably more of my time doing the, the public outreach and the shaking hands and kissing babies and that kind of thing. I do a lot of the PR work. I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. And so I'm the one who tends to have to do the interviews and go out there. So that's interesting because, uh, you know, again, it's global. So I'll literally be on a Sunday night at midnight, you know, talking to someone in Asia or in Africa doing an interview. And so um, that's one of the things about me. I don't have a normal work week at all. I, it's like, um, it's funny because I probably spend more hours every week working on Tusk. I mean, Tusk for me is a full-time job, but I don't get paid yet. Um, but my day job, I, I do real, I do well enough in my, my company, my consulting business that I work part-time on that for mm -hmm. full-time, you know, my full-time living. Um, but I can work, you know, basically full-time hours on Tusk because of that. But however, there's no separation at church and state doing this. It's literally something for Tusk, something for my day job, something for Tusk, something for my day job. So it's always like my schedule, you would laugh if you saw my, my normal schedule, because it's just like, it's back and forth between the two. So I'm always pinging. Um, I probably do something seven days a week, um, but I love what I do. So it's not like I, I don't dread it or anything like that, but it is a lot of, it is very time consuming. It's not a day goes by. I'm not doing something either. I'm in my telegram group and trying to answer questions and deal with people there, or I'm out trying to, you know, get interviewed on a weekend for a weekend radio show somewhere. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's just a little bit insane. Um, and then I'm doing all that kind of stuff and more of the administrative stuff. My wife, who's a medical doctor by training, is also one of our co-founders, um, and she handles a lot of the customer support stuff. So uh, she deals with a lot of documentation and a lot of that kind of stuff, and she supports me when I'm out, like, you know, I'm out doing the, the PR and the yakety yakety kind of stuff. And then we have our dev team that just they would be comfortable just sitting in a room in their room all by themselves coding. And so generally after I come back and have a couple of good meetings, uh, I'll say, guys, I got this idea. And then they, they dread because <laughs> like then I have ideas. I'm like, well, how do we make this work? And they're like, oh, I'll get back to you in a month. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it's interesting. And on top of that, a lot of our team, even like on the social media side, um, I said earlier, like a lot of our team, like a lot of our community is technically outside the U.S. So um, we have an admin who's in Vietnam. We have another admin and promoter who's in the Philippines that supports us a lot. Um, we have another developer who's in Greece. Um, and so, and then our, uh, our team, even though like, I would say about half our team is based in the Salt Lake city, Utah area, our lead developers in Georgia. And so it's just kind of all over the place. And, and so there's, everybody's in different time zones and different countries. And, and it's definitely, it, it's crazy to be honest. And, and if you're not, if you are looking for a job or starting a business, and you just like really, really rigid structure. I don't think you're going to like this space because it's just right now because it's so nascent of an industry. It's 24 seven. You got to be flexible. And I think even, even with a lot of startups, right? Um, a lot of startups say, Oh, you're going to work a lot of hours, right? Yeah, no doubt. You're going to work a lot of hours, but here because it's international in scope, most crypto products are international in scope. Not only are you working a lot of hours, but you're working, you know, every day of the week. 
and and I don't think that's right for a lot of people. So if that's if you just don't want to work that hard, you just want a normal life. <laughs> I'm not sure blockchain is the way to go yet. Um, I think it's, it's it's you hit the nail on the head there. Like, and I think if you differentiate it between if you enjoy what you do for a living between you feel like it's work then you you know working in crypto is, is definitely not a place for you You're better off just sitting on the sidelines and investing and, and kind of having fun on twitter um i think that leads us on nicely onto the next thing i wanted to talk about like what advice could you give from from the experiences you've learned if anyone's looking for work in this space or looking to start at their own project like what advice could you give to them well, I will give the advice that I followed myself. So if you want to do something in blockchain, um, I would say focus on solving a problem for somebody. Um, as an entrepreneur for a long time now, I would say the things that I've learned over the last 20 years is that find a customer first before you do anything. And, and find a customer, meaning that find someone that you can solve their problem and get them invested in you solving their problem. So I think, like you see a lot of times, with, especially with developer-led projects, and you see this with a lot of crypto projects that are developer-led, is that they just want to build tech, and they think ideas are great. But I think there's a lot of this build-that-they-will-come mindset, mm -hmm. and that's a myth. It doesn't work like that for most things. It doesn't work. You have to have a real solution and a real customer in mind. And I think if you do that first and then build your project around that you'll be far more successful i think that's great advice for anyone listening out there like like you said find a customer first before you spend months weeks years potentially building something for something that might never ever get adopted and i learned and i'll give you a little anecdote it has nothing to do with crypto but a long time ago um, one of my first big failures as an entrepreneur, it was 20, almost, yeah, it is 20 years ago now. Um, I built a night vision system for yachts of all things. Wow. And I won't get into all the background, but I, I got to the point where I spent a lot of money, you know, six digits of personal income, basically my whole life savings on this project. And we failed ultimately, but, um, ultimately we came up with a working product, um, in the night vision space that was about an $80,000 ticket item. Jeez. And then later, um, I got some advisors on the project. By the way, I get advisors on at the beginning now, not at the end. <laughs> and this is where I learned that lesson. So I'm, I'm giving you the, the $100,000 learning lesson here, right? Go get a board of advisors from the industry you want to work in and then talk to them first. And then they'll help you find your customers. But what I found out is after I got my advisors on and I had this $80,000 system and I got close to selling one to the Irish government of all things, um, and then I got a call from one of my advisors, like literally like two weeks after he came out on the project and he's Rob. And I go, yeah, I called him and he goes, um, you got that $80,000 system, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do you have a $40,000 system? And I go, no. I go, why? He goes, I could sell two of those for you right now. Oh. <laughs> and I just like sunk my head down and put my tail between my legs. And then, but I learned so much from that. Mm -hmm. And, and really what happened is I built something that I thought was cool. But I didn't do I didn't do proper diligence on the market and market product validation. And had I done a whole bunch of different things, I could have figured that out early on, right? But I didn't. I just built what I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. And that's the engineering mindset. Now I came from an engineering background, so to speak. I worked in a lot of engineering departments, so that's kind of how I thought. But I wasn't an entrepreneur. That was that was like my first real foray to be an entrepreneur. I made this mistake. 
Um, and so build that they will come as a myth. Okay. They're, you know, and that's the fastest way to fail is build the wrong thing. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't need a thing, but if you don't quite make it right, maybe it's the wrong color. Maybe it's the wrong market. Maybe it's the wrong time. Maybe it's the wrong price point. Maybe it has too many bells and whistles. Maybe it doesn't have enough, but unless you validate that against, um, solving a problem for a customer first, and there's a variety of ways to do that, that diligence and that validation of your idea. Um, you need to do that first. And I think that applies to startups, but it applies to crypto too. Um, and so when we built out Tusk, um, we decided on a market. And then we went and talked to, before we ever coded, we went and started talking to people in, you know, we wanted to validate that market and verify that our thinking was correct. Even though we thought it was correct, we wanted to talk to people in the industry first. So we got people on our board um, from that industry. And then we started talking to retailers and manufacturers in that industry and validated um, what we saw was a problem and validated that there'd be an interest from them. And some of those are now some of the first clients that are in our pilot program right now for Tusk. Fantastic. I mean, for anyone listening out there, you know, like, like Rob said, that's $100,000 worth of advice. You, you can't buy things like that. And again, you know, it, it's just sometimes a lesson learned that sometimes people think they're right it's only when you get a board, you know, speak to an advisor or board of advisors within that industry or field that you can then realize, well, look, maybe I'm not right. I should really listen to people who've been doing this a long time, longer than me. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. And just wrapping up here, Rob, um, kind of it's been interesting to hear like your journey into blockchain, how you've built the Tusk project, like challenges you faced and also advice to anyone out there who's interested in starting, you know, their own project or getting work in this space. Just wrapping up, like, where would you see the biggest opportunities for growth over the next couple of years in this industry? That's tough. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, uh, this is what I think will happen. Um, I think one, whichever cryptos close that last mile of crypto adoption are going to change the way cryptos are evaluated in the market. So what I mean is right now, if you go and look at the top 200 projects on any of the trackers like CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, um, pretty much none of them have customers. Pretty much none of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everybody, they haven't, they have, some have real investors. Don't get me wrong. They have investors. But I'm talking about people that are actually using the product. Yes. You know, for instance, for buying and selling goods and services. Now, I still think that personally that payments is the killer app for crypto. Um, I'm a big fan of peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash more so than I am store value. So I think that whichever crypto project gets the actual an industry actually using their crypto for buying and selling goods and services will end up being a top crypto. And that will have, and that will change the way other cryptos are viewed by the market. So I believe that you know there probably are a couple projects that are starting to figure out that customers and marketing are important. And I think when you start land when when one of them when any of them start landing you know adoption so to speak uh, anywhere, and I think that you're going to see some really big projects tumble in value, and I predict that will happen. Um, so to me, looking at if I was going to invest in a project or if I was going to go work for a project, um, I would be carefully evaluating the projects based on their strategy and ideas for getting actual customers and closing that last mile of adoption. So I think that's, I think they're going to see some big changes in that space. 
um, because of it. And I think it's once it, I think once the dominoes start falling after that, they're going to fall fast and hard. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, I think that's a really interesting insight into the future. And I think it's a very methodical way of thinking in terms of where we are today and where we, where we should be in the future. Um, wanted to thank you very much for coming on, Rob. Just before we, uh, we say goodbye here, do you want to tell the people out there listening where they can find you and find some more information about the Tusk Project? Sure. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, personally, you can just check me out. At, uh, I do a little podcast too, um, and, and I'm all over Twitter. So just I'm Rob at robmcneely.com. It's my personal website, and then I'm at Rob McNeely on all the socials. So if you want to just you know, ping me anywhere, I'm really easy to get a hold of. <clears throat> and then uh, as far as Tusk, uh, the main website for Tusk is just tusk.network. That's T-U-S-C dot network, T-U-S-C dot network. Fantastic. Yeah, if anyone out there is listening interested more about the project, go ahead and check them out, guys. It seems like some very interesting work going on behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Rob, for, for joining us today. It's been great to hear your insight, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on sometime again in the future and see how your project's progressed. Well, I appreciate that. I'd love to anytime. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Blockchain Enterprises podcast. We hope you can get inspired from Rob's story and his advice. If you wish to get more information, you can check out the socials or message him on Twitter in the links provided below. If you are interested in learning more about how to generate revenue streams in the crypto space, or if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of this podcast, then you can visit our website at www.blockchainenterprisespodcast.com.